good evening, good morning, good afternoon, everyone, uh, our, our audience. Uh, welcome to our episode, Africa I Share Online Podcast, The Africa We Want, where we'll be talking about issues that are so dear to the continent, particularly how best we can address the problems that we have. Because we always hear that the solutions to African problems do lie within Africa. So it's a platform that we try and come up with solutions on how best you can deal with the issues. So today's conversation would be on foreign aid and a little bit of conditionalities. So we're going to be unpacking what foreign aid is, how the question, the fundamental question really is, does Africa need aid? We know that Africa has been getting a lot of aid um, from Western actors for a long period of time. But then I don't think there is so much to show for it as far as development is concerned. So we are pretty much contributing to the existing discourse on whether or not Africa needs aid. And if we're going to conclude by saying Africa does not need aid, then what could be the alternate solutions to aid? So before I really um, give a historical background to this whole concept of aid, maybe if Christine could introduce herself and just talk about this. Yes, uh, thank you so much, Shido. And uh, good evening, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great pleasure to have you listening to us again. And this topic of foreign aid, as Chido has highlighted, is quite important for Africa, especially right now with COVID and uh, the potential that uh, the economies of Africa will be affected. And I will let Chido speak a bit more about uh, the background to it and a bit more on the topic. So... Well, just to give uh, maybe a brief outline of what uh, foreign aid is. Uh, well, there are basically different types of aid. We've got humanitarian or emergency aid, mm -hmm. which is generally mobilized um, and dispensed in response to catastrophic situations, right? Mm -hmm. More like your cyclones, pandemics and everything. Then we've got systematic aid that is basically paid to governments either government to government, which is bilateral aid, or through or via multilateral institutions or uh, regional blocks. So we are basically going to be focusing on systematic aid that has got concessional loans and grants. Concessional loans being uh, money that is lent at below market interest rates and is often, with it always have uh, much longer lending periods mm -hmm. than ordinary commercial uh, market loans and then grants which is really given for nothing in return uh the concept of aid uh, mm -hmm. from my understanding it started well i would want to start it in the 1940s right mm -hmm. Who, just before the second world war mm -hmm. uh at the Brittonwood institution i mean the Brittonwood conference so there were, in 1994 there was uh, a Brittonwood conference which is basically trying to come up with solutions for the aftermath of the war. Mm -hmm. They had experienced the Great Depression in the 1930s. There was the Second World War, and they were trying so hard to try and uh, present the outbreak of another war. So they set basically trying to restructure international finance because the whole uh, 
gold system had failed to try and establish a multilateral trading system and also construct a framework for economic cooperation. Mm -hmm. So it's during the Bretton Woods Conference that we saw the birth of the International Bank on Reconstruction and Development, which is now known as the World Bank, and the the International Monetary um, Fund, the IMF, and also that's when they tried to come up with the International Trade Organization, which failed and was then replaced by GATT, a conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. uh, so what then happened was after the war, they were trying so hard to try and reconstruct Europe because of the devastating effects of the war. So the, the reconstruction agenda uh, well, we have got other beneficiaries. We had, we had beneficiaries in Europe, such as France, Denmark, and Netherlands. And it's actually that developmental funding that contributed a great deal to how Europe became an industrialized continent. Mm -hmm. So, well, it didn't really like work well. That's when they had what they called the Marshall Plan in uh, in the in the late 1940s. I think 1947, 1948, thereabout, mm -hmm. where the U.S. basically embarked on an aid program for 14 European countries to make sure that they reconstruct uh, reconstruct Europe. So it's 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 this war idea that uh, the Marshall Plan seemed to be a success, mm -hmm. that they decided to dispense some of the funds that they had to the African continent. So they looked at the successes that had been registered in Europe, how Europe had become industrialized, infrastructure had been built, mm -hmm. and people were moving away from poverty and the aftermath effects of the Second World War, that they felt that... Uh, aid could also work and try to reconstruct um, the continent of Africa. And I feel like it came from, a, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think it came from a position of um, feeling pity and sorry for the continent mm -hmm. because in you have got uh, the then UK Prime Minister Tony Blair saying that the state of Africa is a scar on the conscience of the world and the West should provide more aid for the continent, which basically makes me feel like the continent was pretty much like a begging basket. Mm -hmm. We were a charity case or maybe mm -hmm. like a charity case. I'll put that in quotation marks. And the West feels like they've got a moral obligation mm -hmm. to ensure that they um, they give aid to, to, the, to the continent. So, yeah. And mm -hmm. you would realize that as we speak right now, there is over a trillion dollars that have moved into Africa in the form of financial assistance for development to eradicate poverty and ensure that there is infrastructure development and actually realize development. So I'm just going to pose a question to you uh, in light of the background that I've given. Mm -hmm. uh, the money that I've told you has gotten into Africa. Mm -hmm. Do you really think that aid actually works for the continent? You know, uh, from what you've said, actually a few things that I picked is when you say like it was almost like a charity case. I was reading an article that was trying to analyze the aid between uh, between Tanzania and Norway, and someone was comparing yeah. it and saying that it's like the the good Samaritan uh, game theory, where Norway is asking itself, should we be a good Samaritan and give this aid without any conditions? You know, like just just be a good Samaritan to Tanzania. Or should we have some conditions attached to it? So, so it's almost like a, 
you you feel like it's it's supposed to be charity, but it's almost like the person who is doing the good deed has conditions attached to it. I'm sure we'll as we move forward, you'll speak a bit more about the conditionalities. But to answer your question is, thing is that Africa's received so much aid, like it's and this aid could be in the form of grants, waivers of interest on loans that have been given to Africa and African countries have gone into debt distress and they have asked for the interest waivers. Waivers have been given. And, and there's ongoing aid coming from from U.S. If you look at it, in so many African countries, you'll find U.S. aid, uh, DFID, you'll find uh, the yeah. German aid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's so much aid that has been flowing into Africa for these many years. But when you look at it, yeah. until, for instance, um, China started constructing roads in Africa or rebuilding airports, mm-hmm. That you're actually seeing that mm-hmm. there's actually roads, there's actually an outcome of like a form of infrastructure development of a kind that's tangible mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're seeing in the continent mm-hmm. right now. Right now, you can look, you mm-hmm. can point to countries and say the road, uh, this road has been built off China. This, this other development mm-hmm. has happened, for instance, in Ethiopia of China. This has happened mm-hmm. in Uganda, like, and for all these years, you can look at it and see. Nothing much has happened. I mean, if it's like the poverty rates, like if you look at a mm-hmm, country like mm-hmm. Djibouti, Djibouti has a population of a million people. Uh, it's reported yeah. that 40% of people in that country live in poverty. So, and yeah. aid has been flowing to all these countries. So when you ask me, does aid work? I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, no, it doesn't. Because you're not seeing any positive outcome despite the conditions given on it, despite the amount of the aid, despite how many times you go for it. There has been no outcome for such a long time. It's I'm telling it it's until recently that you can pinpoint and say there's an airport that has been constructed. No no one has heard of uh, the US aid uh, funds going to construct an airport in any country. Like, I haven't heard of yeah. it. I haven't heard of, like, German aid going to construct a railway line in any African country. So you you wonder, money, yes, has come into Africa, but is it the conditions that are attached to it? Is it the use that it has been put into? It's uncertain where the money has gone. And certainly corruption is a big deal. And uh, we can argue on yeah. one hand, like if I can give an example of uh, IMF, World Bank, and I think a Chinese foundation gave like almost a billion US dollars to Kenya to help uh, deal with the COVID situation. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, there's been a scandal where $250 million has gone missing from that uh, amount that mm-hmm. was given as aid mm-hmm. for COVID. And when they, when they have mm-hmm. traced it, uh, like from the scandal, it, it looks like what happened is that people give a tender was issued to people who are related to certain politicians or people have certain conditions. Like this is what's reported mm-hmm. by BBC and so many other uh, networks within Kenya that what happened was that people either overpriced the PPEs that were being supplied so that you see someone is tendering to supply PPEs at three, three times their price uh, that the government would have would have bought them for. And so at hoping $250 million has gone missing in these COVID times where Kenya doesn't have enough ventilators, but the money has gone 
missing. And now there's a parliamentary committee that's, that has been, that is trying to figure out this, this dilemma. Where did the money go when we all know where the money went? But it's such things. So does aid work? To be honest, I it doesn't seem to be working. But you can speak a bit more you, on you, what you think is the reason why. You, you, you know what? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked um, what you said that, you know, we have had so much influx of aid, but it doesn't seem like there is anything to show for it. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the problem that happens is when this concessional norms or these grants come to African countries or anywhere else, uh, people are not really told what to do with the money, right? Mm-hmm. The conditionalities, which we are going to talk about more in detail, most of them really like are hinged on political development and respect of human rights, accountability, transparency, and uh, the form of de- uh, democracy that the donor understands, right? Which mm-hmm. is something that we're going to talk about. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that aid does not work in its entirety, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, look at it. When financial assistance for development started influxing in Africa, it was not a new phenomenon. It's not something that they sat down and just decided to implement without having tangible results of its implementation somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, it had been done for Europe. Mm. And Europe developed. Mm-hmm. So they felt, you know, when, when, when this, you know, when your US, your Great Britain, your German, the EU, when they were looking at it, they felt that it was also going to help Africa develop. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem, I'm going to cite, uh, I think, a, a number of issues uh, that I think are the fundamental problems that we have as a continent when it comes to dealing with foreign aid. Mm-hmm. The first one, I'm not going to start blaming ourselves. But I'm going to try and give you a, a different perspective, particularly with regards to the inflow and outflow of money. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, I think I told you that I was, I'm was i kind of working on a study on illicit uh, financial flows from Africa. Mm-hmm. And you would realize that on average, mm-hmm. Africa gets about, let's just say, $135 billion in the form of financial assistance. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. And we expect something tangible to come out of it. But nobody also then pays attention to the fact that Africa loses roughly two hundred billion dollars every year that goes out in multinational profits that goes out in in, in externalized funds, illicit Mm -hmm. outflows. Right. Mm -hmm. We talk of um, having to service the the, the loans, the the repayment plans and everything. So it's pretty much getting. 130 but losing 200 so we've Mm -hmm. got a margin of 70 billion right Mm -hmm. that is just getting out of africa and nobody's accounting for it if i remember very well throughout my research i came across a study um, by global finance integrity that was really looking at the amount of money that is lost by africa by most African countries. And mm-hmm. it's so sad that most of the extractive industry, most of the extractive countries, you talk of your Nigeria, you talk of your DRS, Zambia, you know, they lose a lot of money through illicit financial flows. You talk of your tax missing invoicing, you talk of money laundering, you know, and that is the money that could have otherwise been used to actually work towards realizing socioeconomic rights. Mm-hmm. 
nobody has a conversation around it. So in a way, the money that, you know, I was, before I even finished that thought, I remember reading somewhere where this guy was making an argument about round tipping, right? Mm -hmm. Where the money that comes in, in the form of foreign aid, Mm -hmm. pretty much goes out Mm -hmm. as illicit flows. And the money that goes out is then round tipped and comes back to Africa as foreign Mm -hmm. aid. But this time it is got conditionalities. This time Mm -hmm. it it has to be repaid. Mm -hmm. This time... We, we know we, we, it, it's now in form of a, of, a, of a loan that has to be repaid. So it then becomes an issue of we are getting money from you, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're going to give you back your money. But this time, you still need to give it back to us. That's why you realize that most African countries, as we speak right now, they are riddled in debt, so, so much of debt. We have got countries that continuously go back and try and, you know, um, negotiate, renegotiate loans, uh, concessional loans, you know, so that they at least be given an extended period to pay because Mm -hmm. they can't pay clearly, right? They can't Mm -hmm. service their debts. The debts are becoming so unsustainable, but at the same time, they still need to go back and borrow, Mm -hmm. which brings me to another side of the argument, uh, Christian, Mm -hmm. which is not really blaming the funders or the donors, but actually an argument where I'm saying we need to look within the continent. Mm-hmm. Eight, because it's something that has been going on and on and on and on, and we've got our governments continuously going back to beg and borrow. It has created a culture of dependency, mm-hmm. whereby most countries now actually depend on foreign aid. Do you know that there is an African country that has got 60% of its annual budget that is actually set aside that is going to get from foreign aid? Mm-hmm. Interesting. 60%. It's a huge percentage if you look at it. Mm. How can you have a country that pretty much depends on foreign aid Mm. to an extent that almost three quarters of its annual budget is basically based on money that they are going to borrow? Mm. Mm. Nobody talks about giving that money back, right? Mm. So the culture of dependence has actually led us to let off our leaders the hook. What Mm. do I mean by that? I'm Mm. basically saying there is now less accountability in Africa. We can't hold our leaders accountable mm-hmm. because they are not doing anything for us. They pretty much are relying on the money that they are going to borrow from the IMF, the money they are going mm-hmm. to get from the World Bank, the mm-hmm. EU, the US, right? You, you know, and it's the same money that uh, it, instead now for them to to start uh, building roads and 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 and. and building infrastructure for the people and making sure that people actually make a transition from poverty to probably middle, um, middle class income. That's the same money that they used to fund political, uh, you know, political yeah. elections. That's the same money that they are using to fit in their pockets. Yeah. I'll bring you to this, you know, I was, I, I was reading this book, uh, it's called Why Nations Fail. Mm-hmm. which basically says the problem with most developing countries, mm-hmm. not just Africa, but most developing countries, mm-hmm. is leadership there is more like a take-take, right? Mm-hmm. Developing countries, they've got political and economic systems that are just ex- extractive. So what happens is a political leader gets into power so mm-hmm. that they extract money mm-hmm. for themselves and the people that are close to them. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the conversation that we were having last week about bad leadership and accountability, governance, bad leadership and accountability. Right? Mm-hmm. So because we don't have accountability, right, we can't hold our political leaders accountable for the money that they're actually getting 
the okay the few money that the, the few dollars that are, that they are getting aside illicit flows and everything nobody's there to hold them accountable so mm. at the end of the day you realize that leaders that are actually not doing anything for their people have managed to stay in power for a very long time because they rely on aid in a way i would say we can as well apportion a certain level of blame to foreign aid because we are saying there are leaders that could have been removed from power right mm-hmm. but those leaders still find themselves being in power because one they are not doing anything two there is no accountability and three when 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 it gets hot in the kitchen they just go and borrow money and bring it back and try to do one or a few things without actually doing anything mm-hmm. that and and i agree especially when you're speaking about like round tripping you know like this is a concept that happens in tax a lot and if you find like what what countries will do and for instance like africa has been said to lose a lot of tax revenue by just giving tax incentives so that you can attract foreign uh, direct investment into the country yeah. but uh, what happens is that you find that in a country i'll, I'll give you uh, like an example is um, or most african countries uh, they have either free special special economic zones or free free trade zones where anyone who comes and sets up there for 10 years you pay no tax in 10 years so what foreign companies will do is that they will come and set up there for 10 years then after 10 years they pack up and leave because and and wow. so you've enjoyed the tax incentives you've paid no tax revenue to that country you've made money out of that country you truly do because especially uh, and it's a free a completely total tax free Uh, because uh, any money you make in the country you don't pay any any corporate tax on it and you can push the money out of the country without paying any tax on it which is unlike someone with paying tax that he says the revenue that goes to the government and then there's no requirement like to transfer technology so even as you pack uh, you fold up and leave as a company you leave that the your employees the people who are employed in your company leave them without jobs and the, without any skills transferred to them So and then so this money has gone out of the country and then you probably come in another form back into the country as another form of uh, foreign direct investment or something. You just somehow find a way of and so I agree because of the dependence thing what has happened is that you don't even you end up not even having logical economic laws. You don't because you're not yeah. thinking too yeah. clearly yeah. and trying to preserve the country. You know for instance like what happened with china they noticed that china also uh, for a while had different tax laws that apply to foreigners and domestic companies and they gave a lot of favor to the to the foreign companies but at some point the chinese domestic companies were like no what has happened is that now the foreign companies are competing way much more than we can compete they are getting tax free treatment and china had to relook and say you know what we will we will give the same if no one is paying tax in this country no one will, like whether you're domestic or foreign then let's not charge any anyone tax instead of saying like let foreigners not pay tax in the country the domestic companies are the ones who are bearing this tax burden and then the foreigner just leaves it's it's quite the situation so i agree and like for mm-hmm. china they revise you know, you know. but that's because they are thinking through these things and and possibly they're not relying on aid or grants or so are not looking to it you know before you continue i i just wanted to to say that it's very funny that most governments right they pretty much fail to set up efficient tax collection uh facilities due to the reliance on foreign aid mm-hmm. 
we constantly, you know, we we like to make an argument that um, most, I think this is an argument that we make as a continent when we're trying to negotiate um, at, at, at the multilateral level and everything that we saw, we saw depend on revenue collection, you know, your customs duties and, 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 and your export fees to an extent that uh, we don't think we can liberalize our markets as developed countries because then we'll lose a huge chunk of our revenue. But if you go, if you then go back, like just go back a little bit on that argument, you realize that it's fundamentally flawed. Why do I say so? We actually don't have proper institutions for rev- for tax collection. Mm. The same tax that we go around saying we so need for our revenue. Mm. And do you know why it's like that? Like you've said, there are just there are so many incentives that are there that don't make sense. It's mm. because ultimately we know when the year ends and we're about to draw our budget, we're just going to go back and get money from those people, and they'll give it they'll give it back to us. The mm. same money that is left is tax incentives. Mm. True, true, true. It's a cycle that just does not end. It's mm. a cycle. Mm. If you look at it now, I'm just going to say this and you, you come in. If you look at it now, aid becomes bad when we look at it from an African perspective. Mm. And it, it entirely has nothing to do with the donors or the funders. It also has, we have a part to play as a continent, right? We have a part to play. Not only the leaders, not only the leadership in some African countries, but even the people within those countries because they are not holding their governments accountable. Mm, mm. It's public knowledge. And when a government gets money, it's public knowledge. You can get on, on social media, you can you can you Google it, you come across the statistics, right? So it's high time that we, the African people, actually go back to the, to our governments and try to hold people accountable for the money that they're getting. Mm. Even the COVID relief money that you're talking about, it's not a Kenyan problem. Most African countries right now, there is, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to tell you this, there are going to be inquiry, commissions of inquiries mm-hmm. in most African countries mm. trying to inquire where COVID relief money went to. Because ultimately, figures were pulled, mm. money was released, mm. somebody got the money, but they didn't deliver. Mm. So if we mm-hmm. stop Take, take mentality and mm-hmm. actually start working towards developing our own economies. I think we'll just continue blaming aid, we'll blame the Western, we'll blame China. We can even start br- blaming Israel for all we want. But the problem is with us as a people. Mm. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't agree more. And when you're speaking that even got me thinking as even you go to speak about conditionalities i'm I'm wondering do you think africa instead of because i was i was reading somewhere that uh, some european countries are now looking at especially the covid situation in africa and instead of giving money they're saying that we'll send actual equipment uh like we'll send ventilators we'll send ppes we'll send like we we actually because if you send because if you send money, I was thinking that's a source of scandal. Even if even this equipment will come and they'll just disappear and it will, it will be taken by the government and sold back to the government. But uh, and then also I thought uh, a, a different alternative is uh, because there's also the kind of assistance that they give by maybe giving scholarships to like people from within Africa to go study and equip them, or especially like if you see some scholarships that require you 
you go, they finance you, but then you have to give an undertaking that you'll come back to Africa and live there and develop it within a certain, you know, like use your skills to develop. So sometimes um, I'm starting to wonder, this aid sometimes, if it's not working in the sense of sending the money will come into the country and the money will entirely, an entire huge amount of money will disappear. And so is it better then to fund researchers? Is it better to have like... Um, research institutions established within Africa where like researchers can research within Africa is it is it you know like equip the give human capital because it looks like a revenue like cash capital is not helping Africa but how about human capital yes. what do you think about that you know what you raise a very important point uh, that literally just ties in with some of the alternatives that I had right mm-hmm. so the first thing that we need I think the worst need to do is to stop giving Africa money mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. stop giving Africa money number one break the cycle of dependence right because the moment we we, 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 we no longer have that option for financing we are now forced to go back on the drawing board and start thinking about what we want to do so that we survive right mm-hmm. and if you look at it there is always an, an, an argument that is raised uh, about, uh, so I will talk about social enterprise FDI and how that basically supports the argument that you're talking about, basically where you're saying we need to develop human capital, right? Mm-hmm. So with social enterprise, it's literally premised on this whole idea that we need to uh, prioritize social impact over profits, whereby we empower the, the, the locals through skill development and job creation, right? Mm-hmm. Once most Africans become self-reliant, it's not the government that actually needs to be self-reliant. It starts with the person who is within a particular country, right? Mm -hmm. Let that person be empowered. They need to be empowered, not to be given money, but human capital, right? Mm -hmm. Mental capital. Number two, even when we talk about foreign direct investment, the whole idea for foreign direct investment is not that for them to come in and build hospitals for us, mm. but it's that they be skills transfer, technology mm. transfer, and the mm. know-how, right? Mm. That's, that's the, the fundamentals of foreign direct investment. I think we tend to undermine the importance of uh, technology, know-how, and skill transfer, that we are so worried about getting the forty, the 51% shareholding. We are so worried about getting some money when we are, when we are negotiating this contract that we don't really go back to the bro- drawing board and think of what's important, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, yes, instead of giving Africa money, instead of giving us equipment, we don't need equipment because in some countries, we have cases where th- that equipment has been sold. You have no idea who it's been sold to. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's have research institutes, think tanks that are funded, right? Not for the sole purpose of fattening the, pro- the, the pockets of the people that are actually heading those research institutes, but so that they can come up with innovative ideas and policies that can inform government, right? Mm-hmm. We can't always expect policy to come from government, to come from our leaders, when we don't play our part also to do research for them and try to do a cost-benefit analysis and weigh and inform policy one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. We have got countries in Africa that don't have research institutes for anything. Mm. I'm so 
extent about trade space because that's what I do, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have research institutes that focus on trade and investment policies. So you end up having the government just relying on probably pulling a document from another government and, 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 and then just changing titles and passing it off as a new document. Mm. And you, you realize that in most circumstances, those documents are not really contextual. Mm. So the point that I'm making, let's start by developing human capital, right? Mm-hmm. Let's have this research is funded, mm-hmm. given, even if they have to be given textbooks, because mm. just so that there is no money that just crosses hands, right? Mm. The mm. second when we, we then start talking about foreign direct investment, when, when these Western companies come in, it's our prerogative to make sure that the contracts that we negotiate, they have to be based on a policy that they should be skills transfer. Mm-hmm. They should be technology transfer. So mm-hmm. that even when they go out 10 years later, we know that, okay, we had Tesla, which was developing self-driven cars, right? Mm-hmm. By the time Tesla moves out of, uh, let's say, South Africa, South Africa is already developing its self-driven cars. It also is improving from those self-driven cars and actually doing something else. So that at the end of the day, we, 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 we become self-reliant. Mm. You know, the problem is we can't even look up to the AU for any assistance because the AU itself is not even self-sustaining. Mm. The AU itself is also donor-funded. And you can't blame it because we've got countries that do not pay their, their, their annual um, royalties. So the question becomes, there is nothing in Africa that is self-funded. There is no country in Africa that doesn't need aid. Mm. But we don't have anything to show for it. So let's start by developing human capital. The problem is we have a lot of people that are going to Western countries, getting scholarships, getting places, studying there, and then staying there and developing, continuously developing uh, developing uh, Europe, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't blame them at the end of the day because even, they, even if they come back to Africa, they are not given the platform to express themselves enough. Mm. Like I, I saw but, someone saying, like, especially in Africa, just, just to put in what you said is that in Africa, the problem is not lack of skills, lack of talent. Is that even like if you go to the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, in Kenya, or if you go to the Ministry of Industrialization and Trade, and you are the most qualified person with a master's in international trade, having worked for WTO, it's very unlikely you'll get a job. Someone will give that job to their relatives. No, so why should no. I come the back to work in who Kenya? Has no experience. Hmm. The relative who has no experience. You know, yeah. uh, I don't think Africa has no skill. Africa, we do have skill, but we're not given a platform to express that. Uh, you know, I was reading this this other article. I was happy because one of my people is uh, is the CEO and founder of a driver's, a driverless car manufacturer called Cargo, mm-hmm. who is now uh, staying in the in the UK. Right? Mm-hmm. That guy started his own uh, setup that that manufactures driverless cars is Zimbabwean mm-hmm. you see the problem that I'm saying that it's yeah. not that we don't have skills mm. we do mm. we do have skills just think about it you know just think about it if you go on Google right now and you try to, to search the number of scholarships that are available for African students or that are available for people from developing countries or least developed countries there are a lot of them mm. you have got constantly competing that 
they get people to go and study abroad and come back with the skills. Mm. But then the problem is when they come back to the continent, they are not given a platform mm. to put those skills to practice. Because the take-take mentality, the extractive mentality that we we're talking about, you, you won't be surprised that we have got people who are occupying very top positions, influential positions in, the, you know, in those multilateral institutions, but they are not really coming back to empower the continent because they are not given a platform to do that. Mm. So they go out, they work in Washington, D.C., they work in, in Geneva, and then they retire. Mm. Yeah, and I wouldn't blame them too much but, because what's the yeah. point of coming back to the country even if you have exactly. experience from Geneva and never get even a job opportunity and not even in the private, in the private sector you can get it. But what you think needs help is in the, is in the government sector. If in the government sector, hiring is always on nepotism, tribalism, and such things. How will you ever get ahead if you don't get competitive talent and someone literally just won't hire you because you're not from their tribe or you're not from a certain tribe? Yeah. If that's the criteria that the government still wants to hire on, it's just really it's just always going to go round in circles and. There's talent. You know, sometimes you wonder, does the government ever wonder when these multinationals come and set up, for instance, in Zambia, when uh, when McKinsey or a big consulting firm, PwC, go set up in Zambia, and there are people from Zambia working there, doesn't the government ever stop and wonder, how is it that this top, top company is able to come and get people from Zambia to come and offer their talent here? And us as the government, we are unable to get people with talent. The government is well aware that its people are talented, but do they want the talent? No. Do they want someone no. who can make a difference in the institution? No. They just want no. to have uh, the, to have the option to go and negotiate something that makes no sense, truly, but which is you know, you know, someone. You know, you know the problem with with I, I don't think it's I don't think that's uh, a coincidence. It's a deliberate move. Because once you put competent people in certain strategic positions, right? We are not talking about political offices. Mm. We are talking about offices that are for economic development. Once you put somebody in a strategic position where they are able to influence real economic policies that actually bring about change, there comes the concept of accountability, something that we don't want as a continent. Mm. <laughs> We are not comfortable with having a conversation around accountability. So up until a time where we are actually willing to sit down and talk about holding people accountable and actually being accountable, right? I'm afraid we're just going to have talk, 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 and talk and look for new people to blame, new countries to blame, right? Like now, we have got um, a lot of uh, influx from China, Chinese investments, mm. Chinese loans and everything, right? Mm. And I'll tell you for a fact that we are still going to look at China and blame China in the next coming years for impoverishing Africa. Of course. Of course. But then the question becomes, when, when the loans were being negotiated, who was there? Mm. I mean, it's not two Chinese not- people who negotiated for the African country. There was an African yes. person there. Yes, were they not aware of what they were contracting into? Yeah, that's 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 a very that's a very you know a very important question to consider. Who are they and how did they do it? So I still maintain that aid on its own is not bad. The problem starts when it gets into somebody's hands. Mm. 
the I, moment it gets hmm. into somebody's hands, the problem then just starts. And you know, I think one of the reasons maybe Chinese aid is seems to be working for Africa is China came not just with with floating money. Well, uh, so there are two sides of it. China has its project, which is the Belt and Road Initiative, which is a China-driven project, which China wants to connect different continents, which is based on the Silk Road of of the old times. And China has an idea why it's saying what we are after is connecting uh, like uh, through maritime, through roads, um, through airports. And so what China is doing, it has an agenda. It has an agenda, and the agenda is to lay certain infrastructure in different countries. For what goal? That's a different topic, like for why they are looking to do that. But for them, what they are looking at is that we want to have a, a, a network of roads that goes from uh, from Tanzania through Uganda out into Rwanda and then goes to Kenya and then Sudan and so 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 they have a, they have in their mind what they are doing and I think that's one of the reasons why we are seeing actual things happening on the ground. It's not because for sure. Let me, we even had this discussion on our China discussion someday and what we are saying is that the Belt and Road Initiative is not an Africa initiative. China sat down and they were like we want, we want to construct a road for you Kenya. And then they come and construct uh, constructed the road. Then they're like, oh, we want to construct a dam for you, Ghana. Then they go construct a dam for them. But did Ghana sit down and maybe do, for instance, do like a cost-benefit analysis of what they are doing? No. And so it's a project which is not, if China gave money to Africa, we would, it's unlikely we would have gone and built an airport. It's unlikely that uh, Zimbabwe would have gone and built the parliament. But they are getting it's because they are out to build this infrastructure that's why possibly we are seeing solid use of these things but these things are not that they may not in the long run benefit africa because like for djibouti you see like they have a railway that was constructed but they say it's not meeting the capacity that it needs so that it can break even and that's the thing we have infrastructure but we are the point where you're like but you don't have industries to use the infrastructure so anyway it's a the china situation i think is quite interesting. You know, the China has a, has a conversation on its own that we need to have on a different day because, you know, there are, there are so many sides to the Chinese situation. The other being, you know, when China comes in, there is hardly any skills transfer and technology transfer because mm-hmm. they bring everything, including the bricklayer. Mm-hmm. You, you get what I, what I mean, right? Yeah. So you've got Chinese contractors working in an African country for a Chinese project, right? Mm -hmm. Which then becomes the question, what happens to the people that are actually in those in those countries? How are they getting empowered at the end of the day? Right? Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, let's also not forget that there are other monies that are not coming in the form of development assistance that are just loans. And the difference between um Chinese loans and the, the loans that come from the West, it goes back to conditionalities. I hardly do, because this is the thing, China, China is, is not a democratic, um, you can't say it's, it's a democratic government in the sense of democracy, how we've told about democracy, right? Yeah, yeah. So they can't give a condition that you need to be democratic, they need to be this and that, because they are not a democratic government. So there are no conditionalities and people just pretty much do what they want. Mm -hmm. With the Western loans, there are conditionalities, 
But then there is no implementation in the sense that they don't follow up to actually see if something has been done with the money. Because mm. I don't, if they actually would follow through implementation, right, I don't think we could be having the same problem that we're having about, especially with regards to accountability. Because if you come and ask for money to build a road, mm. we expect to see the road being built mm. or the road having been built. We need mm. to see the airport having been constructed. So they just dish out money and then they keep quiet. Mm. China follows up, but eh, it doesn't really, sometimes it doesn't really care what you use it for at the end of the day, mm. unless it's specifically meant for a certain project. Yeah, which is to their benefit. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that we need to really stop looking at anywhere or anyone for financial assistance, right? I'm really happy so much that um, we are. We are launching the, the African continental free trade area because mm. I believe in the concept of free markets. I think that we can achieve so much with, uh, with free markets. And the good thing about the African continental free trade area right now, going back to just maybe to give you a heads up, going back to the issue of taxes that you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, customs are going to be working together to ensure that they do away with this whole concept of, you know, some countries not having adequate infrastructure or institutional frameworks to ensure that there is revenue collection. Mm. So it's a good thing, right? Once we open our markets, so we have talked countless times here on this platform about how Africa is so rich that we need to actually look at the value that we have and be competitive globally. Mm. With the amount of resources that we have, the natural resources we have as a continent, we are so blessed that I don't think we need to be we need to be the, the, the we need to be the we need to be a begging basket. We we need to be going some to someone and begging for assistance for anything. Mm. Yeah, I think there's potential and we can do a lot with it. But I think we just want to sleep, be fed, be given aid, be given grants, and just steal the money and just yeah, we are happy. It's like that. I think we need to do institutional reforms in a in in. in country by country yeah and ensure that there is proper accountability because even what we're talking about about free trade um you know we're talking about foreign direct investment we're talking about having to to invest in social enterprise it will not really yield the desired results up until a point we are able to be accountable as people we need to deal with accountability you know when there's accountability and every dollar is accounted for gives us you know when we when we go back to having proper institutions right mm-hmm. institutional reform as i'm talking about it even goes back to deal with this whole idea of illicit flows right mm-hmm. that are getting out of out of the continent so we need to put plugs on those holes through which money is leaving the continent we need mm-hmm. to ensure that, to ensure that there is accountability and yeah. then actually start investing in things that matter trust me will rise yeah, and you know, like when you're speaking about, I know, I know, we are almost running out of time, but I think uh, from what you said, especially sealing the loopholes on like money leaving illicit outflows of money, I think South Africa is a good example to learn from. I know most people don't uh, like South Africa in the sense that you just can't transfer runs out of the country without there is foreign exchange control. Like you just can't just shift money out of South Africa the runs without 
getting approvals. And most investors don't like that because if you want to get a certain amount of money out of South Africa, there's an amount that you have to pay tax on. And so you have to either you have either way you have if you want to divest from South Africa and take all your money out or you want to just have illicit flows out of out of South Africa, then you pay a price for it. It's a different story how South Africa is using its money. But I think for like at least in how you can seal the loopholes, I don't think there is we'll be shooting in the dark. The other people are doing it. I don't think it's for lack of information on how to do that. I think it just needs to be done, you know. Like you, you really can't have like a country which is like without borders, you know. You, it's it's just there's no borders in your money. Anyone can bring in money, take it out, do anything without without any form of accountability. And that's how come you'll find like every once in a while you hear a scandal from an African country politician who has Swiss bank accounts, which no one knows what how much money transferred there. So like all the money that go, that went missing. During COVID aid, all of it went to Switzerland, and the politician owns money, holds money there for years. You know, like such things. It's things that can be controlled, and we don't have to wonder how do other people do it. We know how it's done. You know, just have it done. So I agree. Like institutional reforms are a big part on how on winning this this whole game for Africa. I think so. I totally agree with everything that you have said and you have really managed to summarize the conversation and I think in the best interest of time we can as well end it here. If we need to do a part two, we definitely will see with the feedback that we get but yeah I think the takeaway is we necessarily don't have to bracket and blame aid for everything. We also start I think it's high time like we have been emphasizing from the first episode, it's high time that we start looking within. African problems require African solutions. And in as much as it hasn't worked in the past, particularly when, you're, when we were looking at the issue of money and everything, I think we now need to start going back on the drawing board as African countries, people, the governments, policymakers, everybody, and see how best we can get out of the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm. we need to start having honest conversations yeah to ask you a last question do you think africa countries will ever stop going for for aid soon i don't think they would yeah in all honesty mm. i don't think they would because of the benefits that accrue like i was saying there are people who are i would say they are pretty much living off aid mm. you know they have neglected all other concepts of um development <laughs> or other drivers of economic development and they are solely dependent on aid yeah. so having situations like that i don't think we are going to stop going back for aid and mm. see how the statistics for poverty are pretty much going up by the day right mm. we have got um the world bank making estimates that by the time we get to probably 2030 uh, what they call FCVs, fragility, conflict, and violent states, are pretty much going to be worse and so ridden in poverty. So mm. as long as we haven't done so much with poverty reduction, we are constantly going to go back. In fact, we're going to be using it as uh, as a justification for why we still need to get money. Yeah. It's more like with the AU. Like I said, the institution needs to be running, but countries are not faithful enough to actually pay their their monthly subscriptions, right? Mm. 
I think in 2009, was it 2015, 16, there about only 60, 67% was collected. So ultimately, it still has to rely on foreign aid, you know, an institution for Africans by Africa relying on European aid. It, it, it does not make sense at the end of the day. Yeah. It I does mean, not. I think we could go on and on, but even the Africa Union building was built by China. So that speaks a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the initiative has to actually come from the donors and start limiting aid, you know, cut aid to Africa and see if if that doesn't force us to actually think and come with up with innovative ways to make sure that we drive for economic development. But right. I think we could have that discussion again in future, but I think it benefits external aid donors to keep giving aid to Africa. I think for them, because this is like, they of course know this strategy where you keep Africa down. You can you can get resources out of Africa easily. They are not mm-hmm. they are not accountable for anything. Like it doesn't pain the US a lot that they gave aid to Africa and the entire loot money was looted. It it doesn't pain them. It pains us. And no. so US would not be bothered. They'll keep pumping in the money for whatever they can. And then in any case, it's leverage for them to negotiate to get. A military base in Djibouti or somewhere. So I, I think it's in yeah. their interest to keep yeah. giving aid. So I don't think it's in their interest. It's in the interest of China to keep giving aid to Africa and building our parliaments and such buildings. And it's in their interest. They will not cut it. It's it's worse to say. And, no. and then the problem with us saying no is we we'll never get to a point where we say no because we want it. Mm. We yeah. don't need. We want it. Yeah. You know, Amata, Amata Sen talks about development is freedom, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think uh, with this dependency syndrome that has developed in Africa towards foreign aid and having to depend on, on the West uh, for, for financial assistance, we can really talk about development in Africa. Because development is an all-encompassing term. It's something that we talk about sometimes. Where we talk about um, economic free, uh, economic freedom, political freedom, social freedom, and everything. So once we're still dependent, in as much as we might try to talk about development, it becomes so difficult because there is no freedom. Mm-hmm. The conditionalities that we wanted to talk about, but we never really got time to talk about. You see, it 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 it, it then just becomes a question of who is going to stop aid. They are not going to stop aid because it's beneficial for them, and our governments are not going to stop asking for aid because. They want it. I'm not mm. going to say they need. They want it. Mm. It's convenient. Who doesn't want to get extra money without working for it? Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. Again, we say good day, good evening, or good morning. Please let's hear your comments, particularly on this issue and all the other issues that we've discussed. What is it that Africa has to do? You can also suggest other topics that we can look at. So that we start having honest conversations ultimately that we may be able to come up with the africa that we want and this is chido and christine for you again until next week bye thank you